You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi. <laughs> Already it's fucked up. Okay. <laughs> One word in. Okay. That's all we got today. Welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCourt. And I'm Erin McCourt. Thank you for joining us today. We're excited to have you here while we talk about a less fun documentary than some of the other ones we've done. Mm-hmm. Today we're talking about Abducted in Plain Sight. This was done in 2017. It's an hour and 30 minutes long, directed by Sky Bergman. Mm-hmm. And as stated in the title, it is about abduction, in this case, a child. So just a trigger warning for anybody who hasn't seen it or anybody who isn't aware of what it's about. It does contain child abduction, molestation, and things of that nature. So if that is going to be hard for you to listen to, we understand. Absolutely. But this documentary, the first thing I'll say about it is this happened in the 70s. And this family is talking about it, obviously, much later, 2010s. Yep. And the fact that they came forward and they were talking about it. And not just the main victim, but the entire family came forward and talked about it. And I give them so much credit because there were things that most people would not have talked about afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. They were very forthcoming and that must have been very difficult because they made some mistakes in this. Mm -hmm. And they admit to that. Yeah. But you do get the sense through the whole thing that they are like a loving family and they Mm -hmm. really, I don't know, seem to have weathered it the best that they could, right? So I really appreciated that about them. Right. Right. I mean, obviously it took time and stuff to heal, but, you know, they discussed at the beginning the fact that they were a very loving family, very close family, and a very open family that the kids felt comfortable talking to the parents really helped them get through this. So, yeah, I appreciate them coming forward and telling their story. The other thing I'll mention is, oh, my God, Erin, all those women have the most amazing cheekbones I've ever seen in my life. They did. They did. I don't know. They just... If I said they had an inner light about them, does that ring with you? Because I was just like, they just seem so genuine. Right. And I really liked that about this family. Yeah. Yeah, all of them. Beautiful family. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those cheekbones were, that's genetic gold right there. (laughs) Sorry. They don't need any contouring. No. I mean, you see it right away. And I was just, I was almost taken aback. I was like, holy cow, look at that. That's amazing. Right. So let's start off. There's the Broberg family. We have Mm -hmm. Bob and Marianne, who are the parents. And we have the three daughters. Jan is the oldest, and then Karen is the middle, and Susan is the youngest sister. And that that's their family. Mm-hmm. This takes place in Pocatello, Idaho, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Imagine small town, no one locked their door. It seemed like a pretty large LDS population, right? Yes, they were of the LDS faith. And can I just say that Bob is the best because he's a florist? Right. Did you not find that that was so cute? Yeah. But he had, he had his own shop, right? He owned a flower shop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think that would be a fun business. My mom worked for a florist for a time and she really enjoyed, you know, doing the arrangements and stuff like that. It's not easy, I would say, but I don't know. You kind of think of flowers as being mostly good occasions, mm-hmm. right? Like there were funerals and stuff you'd have to do too. But I don't know. I just, I don't know anybody that is a florist for a living, right? Like, some family friends and stuff, maybe, but yeah, I was just like, oh, that's the coolest. I will say my friend took a class 
to learn how to do the arrangements and she loves it. Like mm-hmm. she'll often do her own arrangements, like go into shops mm-hmm. and be able to do it. And she absolutely loves it. It makes her very happy. So. Yes. Yeah. And there's like, you know, some aesthetics you're supposed to be like tallest point in the center and blah, blah, blah. So I mean, there's a whole thing to do. That's not just like throwing stuff in there. So yeah. And this is why I would never be good at it because I have zero <laughs> creativity in me, period. So I will trust those who can to do it and do it well. So Marianne discusses how this was a close-knit community. They never locked their doors. She was a stay-at-home mom, mm-hmm. very traditional 70s mm-hmm. family. And this is early 70s, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It feels like maybe more of an innocent time before we got into, like, all the serial killers or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, even with the serial killers, this wasn't the age of the Internet. You're not getting all of the information in your face all the time. So you could stay somewhat blissfully unaware of other things. And also, this is before people realized that family members or people you knew or friends could be predators. It was stranger danger, right? It was always the rogue stranger. If you knew them, you were friends with people, nothing bad could happen, right? Right. Like the face that people presented to the world was the only part of their character, right? There mm-hmm. wasn't anything hidden. You weren't like always questioning people, which I thought was funny as I was sitting watching this as a Gen X like skeptic. I was mm-hmm. like, are they doing you know so i can again appreciate the fact that they came out and they talked about some uncomfortable things in this documentary you're like wow like they said all the stuff you know and that's Mm -hmm. that's really to their credit i totally agree with that right and i think unfortunately people look at it with today's point of view and today's ideas of what you know people see in other people and it was very different then Mm -hmm. it's a very different world the story starts essentially in 1972 Mm-hmm. That's when the Birch Tolls move in next door to the Broberg family. And they meet Robert Birch Told. We'll call him just Birch Told because there are too many Bobs in this. He has a lot of Bobs here. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Gail, mm-hmm. they meet them at church. Mm-hmm. So completely innocent, right? Mm-hmm. They happen to live next door. They have how many kids? Five children. That seems excessive, but there's a lot of kids in the store. <laughs> right. There were five kids and they become fast friends. Like the families just become fast friends, right? Everyone mm-hmm. had a best friend for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, well, that's not quite true because if the Birchfolds had five kids, there were two kids that were really left out, weren't there? I mean, math does not quite add up, but I think the point was that they really meshed together quite well. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, you know, they would do stuff together. They would cook out. They would do all stuff together, sleepovers. And the idea of that makes me so happy. Yeah. Right? The idea of having a neighbor and having friends like that that are so close by and your kids are friends, that's such a nice picture to have. Mm-hmm. Right. And they met at church and there really wasn't any, you know, kind of hesitancy to jump into this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, since we're hearing the story afterwards, like we have, you know, hindsight vision, right? We're like, oh, right there, I would have been clued in that no, no one's perfect. And, you know, that, but that's not the case. You know, right. when you're hip deep in this whole thing. Right. Yeah, I have some notes about Birch Told was always freaking around. Like, he was just there all the time. Right. Taking the kids to school, and the kids would get in the car, and they'd, like, sing this little song about, we're going to have a great day. And I'm like, all right. I know. Let's just... Calm down already. Right. Like, <laughs> I can't handle this level of enthusiasm in anything. Not in the morning. Come on now. Right. So, they were super tight. One of the things that bothered me was, Marianne was saying how Birchtold will call her and ask her to bring him lunch. Like, hey, Marianne, I just can't get away from the shop. He sold furniture, right? Mm-hmm. 
And he'd be like, I just can't get away from the shop today. Would you bring me a sandwich or something? Mm-hmm. I'm, but you have your own wife to do that for you. Why are you calling Marianne? Now, I yes. understand. But it's still, if I were her, I'd be like, listen, bitch, I'm already making sandwiches for someone else. Right. I'm going to make one and bring it to you. Yes. We sort of start to get the picture pretty quickly that he's a bit of a charmer, right? He's a romancer. He's a manipulator, obviously. So you can tell right away that Bob was immediately starting to work on Marianne and Bob, Mm -hmm. like getting in with the parents in in almost a creepy way. She discussed how he would flatter her, Mm -hmm. tell her how beautiful she was. She'd been married for over 10 years Mm -hmm. at that point. So get that. I get that you start to feel relationships can start to feel habitual. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really get that attention. And someone comes in and gives you that attention. It's easy to go towards that. Yeah. Feels good, right? To hear, Mm -hmm. you know, that you look great and stuff. And I think that, I mean, that's how a lot of things start, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, at this time, she doesn't really realize what he's doing. Again, here is us with our hindsight. Right. But yeah, they kind of talk to about, it's a little bit weird that he's around as much as he is. So like, I think there were some hints along the way, but the sandwich thing, definitely. I, I think that I would have, when she said that I too was like, why does she have to bring this fool a sandwich? Right. Yeah. I I mean, and that wasn't on him. I know what he's doing. Yes. But for her, that of all the things like the flattery, the, all that, I get that. Yes. But of all the things that's where I'd been like, um, no, right. Bringing you a fucking sandwich. But don't you think that this kind of all goes back to politeness right you gotta mm-hmm. be so polite and you accommodating ever... yes and i find that that i mean that got this dude so far in this whole thing because people mm-hmm. don't want to tell people no mm-hmm. especially women right we're trained to be accommodating mm-hmm. we're supposed to be nice to people and not hurt people's feelings to which i say to everyone bullshit yeah don't worry about hurting anyone's feelings yep you don't owe anybody anything no, yeah. I'm not saying be rude, but protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Listen to that inner voice, right? If some man asked you to bring him a sandwich, I think you'd be like, why? At the very least, you know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> What's so, wrong with Gail? Are her arms broken? I think there's a lot of shit wrong with Gail. Um, right. <laughs> well, just, Truth. Gail? Where, right. Where is Gail? She really wasn't part of this documentary. She's mentioned like twice, but both times I'm like, oh, Gail. No. You really could have prevented a lot of this, Gail. God damn it, Gail. (laughs) Poor Gail. I know, right? So Bob is working on Marianne, flattering her, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. That's that's one thing. The more interesting turn is when Bob starts working on, sorry, Birch told, starts working on Bob, the father. Mm -hmm. And so this really, this was brave of this gentleman to come forward and tell this. Agreed. And it wasn't easy for him to tell. You could you could see it in mm-hmm. his face. But he was talking about how one time they went out for a ride, like, I'm guessing not lunch. No one had sandwiches. And they were in the car and they were riding. And he was like, Bob was saying how Birch told didn't get along with Gail. Right. I mean, they had five kids. They got along well enough. But how he just had these urges and these needs and she just wasn't fulfilling them. And they weren't sexually compatible and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. We find out why later. So he seriously, Birchfield seriously looks over at Bob and says, you know, you've got to help me out. And Bob could see that he was physically aroused. Mm -hmm. Birchfield was asking Bob to essentially help him get off. Right. And again, it's just like with the sandwich. You have two hands, sir. Why do you need mine? Right? 
Yeah, I think it's a really bold move, I guess, because especially, I guess, a guy on guy thing, because this was a time when this was really stigmatized. It was illegal in some places still. Yeah, I don't know how good of a friend you would have to be. And what kind of fucking smooth talker was this guy? I think it speaks to his, well, his salesmanship, because yeah. they say every job he had, he sold everything he could. Yeah. It yeah. really speaks to how well he could manipulate people. Yes. So the culmination of the story is that he does. Bob mm-hmm. reaches over and essentially masturbates Birchtold. Helps a brother out. Yeah. You can just see the shame in his face. And that's so unfortunate because he was like, you know, I cheated on my wife really in essence. And mm-hmm. he's really, is this the worst thing I've ever done? And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh man. But yeah, I just, I can't believe that the guy asked and I can't believe that Bob complied. That's just amazing to me. Right. And it is bold because how many men would have been like, mm-hmm. that's adorable. Yes. Let me out, I'll walk. Or punch someone in the face, right? Yes, yeah. It just seems like a really big risk, but it paid off. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy was very, very good. So that's really all that they point out in the documentary, right? There's a line of typing that says that they entered in a a homosexual relationship. So I don't know how excessive it was. It is pretty excessive over time with Marianne. Mm -hmm. But you kind of get the feeling that he is worming his way into everybody's lives in here. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Just, it is. just amazing. Mm-hmm. That's setting the scene for what comes later, right? So right. as he's working on the parents, he's also there all the time. And he tends to focus more on one daughter of the Broberg family more than the other two. Mm-hmm. So Jan, who's the oldest, like I said, she's nine when they meet. He focuses on her more than mm-hmm. anybody else. Mm-hmm. He calls her Dolly, which is creepy. Yep, straight up. And, you know, he would take her on like family trips with them when others, the other kids weren't going, which seems kind of weird, right? If all the kids got along with each other, you would think they would take all of them, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. There were times when she was sleeping over, like if they would have sleepovers over at the Birchtold's place, Mm -hmm. they talked about how they, oh, they had a big trampoline in the backyard. So everyone would sleep under the trampoline. Mm -hmm. When she said everyone, I assumed the kids, but apparently she meant air one. Yeah. And there were some, again, indications that uh, she woke up because her, I mean, her and her panties were down and he was laying next to her and he was like, oh, you were just tossing and turning a lot. And of course she's a kid and that works. Right. But you're just like, ew, so mm-hmm. gross. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this is all really what this is all about is he's grooming them. All of them, really. Yeah. Laying in wait, setting the scene. Mm-hmm. Pretty long game here because it takes a couple years to get it to where he wants it. But yeah, it's just. It's just super fucked up. Yeah. He takes her with them. Their their family, the Birchtold family, goes to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And he takes Jan with them. And when they come back, there are these weird tales. Like, he tells the family how, I don't know, we're at dinner. And she just started acting really weird and swaying and speaking in tongues. Like, she's possessed or something weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so he's like, well, I should take this child back to the hotel because, you know, clearly something's wrong. And so mm-hmm. then he has an excuse to take her back and be alone with her. Right. And she's in and out of consciousness, obviously had been drugged. Right. Yeah. And, you know, at some points remember that he's naked and that's really all she remembers. Right. It's just everything's so unfortunate. But when you're in and out of it like that, I, I understand it. You probably wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't remember it. You don't put it into context. You're young. Well, and again, they kind of talked sort of through this thing that nobody talked about men wanting to have relationships with children that was unknown at this time. And so... Yeah, pedophile wasn't even a word in the vernacular, right? It, yes. So when you look at this all through this lens, I think that it it makes more sense 
of how all this went down, right? Like mm-hmm. there's no conclusion that these things are going to lead to like it would for us. Like you're like, why is this old guy hanging around this kid all the time? Like right. that's a very modern fear. Let's say it that way. Even though this mm-hmm. has been going on forever, just nobody talked about it at this time. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's interesting because of course Jan's not going to think about well, he's a pedophile and he's trying to, you know, she's not thinking anything about that. She, this is a very trusted family friend. Right. And she said she loved him like a second father. She trusted him implicitly. Mm -hmm. There was no reason not to when you're that age. Right. We do learn that January of 1974, Birchall was reprimanded by the high council of the church of Latter-day Saints because of his involvement with another young girl. The LDS church decided to counsel I use that term loosely. Right. Counsel him. And then he also went to counseling in California for further therapy, which we find out later. This is not a real therapist. Right. It was kind of, yeah. Some shady ass dude. Joke. Yeah. Yeah. So he comes back from therapy and he's talking to Bob and Marianne, telling them, listen, Mm -hmm. as a kid, I was molested. um, I was abused. All these things happened. And I'm trying to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, absolutely horrible. Right. Right. So he's not telling them why he really went away to counseling. Like, let's make sure that we get that right. out in in this discussion. So he's right. He's manipulating this to his advantage. Yeah. Yep. And like a proper church, they're not going to tell anyone else. Right. I will. I will state right now how pissed I am about how many people didn't say anything to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You find out later that he had tried to do this whole family manipulation thing with a couple other families already and they had caught on and said no yep do you think they told anybody else no because it would be impolite we don't want to ruin his life and career (laughs) that just pisses me off and i understand self-preservation i understand the shame i do to a certain extent but when you think about this isn't about you right it's well too and i think you know some of this religious stuff plays into it as well because again it's forgiveness and it's believing the best in people and that's fine you you should do that but there's no mention of you can have some goddamn boundaries for you Mm -hmm. and your children Mm -hmm. god doesn't want you to be a sucker well (laughs) in the premise of religion (laughs) so anyway so in this yarn that Birch told is telling the Brobergs he went to counseling because he was molested by his aunt when he was a kid Mm-hmm. And part of his therapy mm-hmm. was that he needed to spend time with Jan, mm-hmm. alone, special time with Jan, sleeping bedroom time with Jan, with these super fucked up tapes. Oh my god! Right, creepiest shit I have ever heard. He's laying next to her, and he's got a tape recorder playing, and I, who, who knows? I don't know that anything sexual happened yet. Then. But it's just creepy. Right. But it's still setting the scene. Like, mm-hmm. no one now would be like, yeah, that sounds great. Go ahead and sleep in the bed of my 10-year-old daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit. She's 11 or 12 at this time. I don't know. And it's like, you're standing by the beach. You're watching the waves. And, I mean, it's just, it reminds me of some stuff that you would have heard about in the 80s. Like, not meditation, because that's too new agey, but, I don't know, like, affirmations it was really mm-hmm. weird to hear this. But some of it was kind of pervy, right? Because wasn't it saying yeah. stuff like, imagine her touching you and how amazing that feels? Yeah, it's very odd. So mm-hmm. I don't understand. I mean, you know, we found out this whole thing's bullshit anyway, but I don't know. It's just weird that these things were intertwined, I guess. Mm-hmm. That a therapist 
Cody Fingers suggested that he had to do this to get better. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and they said they were annoyed by it. They thought it was weird and, but they allowed it. And that's to me, the fascinating part in this is that they were like, okay, <laughs> go right. ahead. Sure. <laughs> let's give it a go. I mean, it, and, and Bob even said that he's like, well, it seemed weird, but it was part of his therapy. We had to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, you know, we're helping him out, right. We're being good neighbors or, you know, whatever. And then, at one point, Jan had, uh, she slept in the basement bedroom with a sister mm-hmm. and Birch told, did some carpentry and he was like, you guys are getting older now. Don't you think that you'd like to have your own room? So he built a wall mm-hmm. in the bedroom to separate them. So I think that that happened before this bullshit happened. So he was in a basement bedroom with the creepy tapes with their kid Yeah, for what they say four nights a week for six months he mm-hmm. did that six what the months. fuck was gail up to where's gail <laughs> probably really happy he's not there with her right honestly oh my god their relationship was talked about not at all but i just am fascinated because i'm like hmm hmm right yeah so we have six months of birch told sleeping with jan mm-hmm. in her room and you know, nothing seems to be changing. Everything seems normal. And then one day, Birchhold tells Marianne he would like to take Jan to go, is it horse farm, horseback riding? Yeah, he wants to take her horseback riding. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of working the mom here a little bit to try to get access to Jan. But again, this has happened many times, so I don't think that that's really the alarming part. But Jan has a piano lesson, which... I don't know, then he weaseled into being able to pick her up after the piano lesson to then go horseback riding. Can I ask, whatever happened to piano lessons? I remember growing up, everyone had piano lessons. I mean, I didn't, but Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone did, and now no one does. I wonder if it has to do something with, piano's a big-ass investment, right? Like, maybe you don't have room for a piano or whatever. I guess you could do keyboarding, but I think that's like maybe an affluent thing or something, and... Mm. Uh, maybe people just aren't as interested or they were like, oh, the guitar is portable. Let's do that instead. Right. <laughs> Look at these drumsticks I can carry around and not have anything else. <laughs> my harmonica really fits nicely in my pocket. So so this is October 17th, 1974. Mm-hmm. Did I say that already? Yeah. Um, so he does weasel Marianne around and is able to pick up Jan from piano lessons. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go to ride horses. Now, mm-hmm. as soon as he picks her up, the first thing he says is, here, I brought your allergy pills. Mm-hmm. You need to take them before we go. And we find out later they were not allergy pills. They were sleeping pills. I feel like he was giving her sleeping pills for years at this point. Well, yeah, because on the vacation, when she was kind of in and out of consciousness, there was that. And then I think when he was sleeping in her room, mm-hmm. there was some of that going on too. And you're just like, again, I, as a parent, I'm like, I wouldn't I mean, did she actually take allergy pills at all before this? Or was he like, oh, she had a sneeze one time. I will now be supplying her allergy pills. Like, that Mm -hmm. seems really messed up to me. Right. Yeah. So he gives her a sleeping pill and she, of course, passes out. And she doesn't come to until later. They don't even talk about how long she was out. He must have kept her sedated for quite a while. Yeah. They don't come home that night. Right. So Gail comes over. Welcome to the party, Gail. And she... She's like, oh, my God, they haven't come back, and she's worried. Right. And they're like, well, it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure they're fine. We'll wait till tomorrow. This is like a Thursday, I think. Yes. Right? Yes. And then by Friday, so I'm not back. By Saturday, they decide to call 
the FBI. So I have that they waited five days. Because they called originally on Saturday and oh, they got yeah, to the line right. and said, mm-hmm. we're not open right now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And she's like, well, we don't mean to make a fuss. And so then by the time they called on Monday, it had been mm-hmm. like five days. Right. And the whole time they're like, maybe they broke down. Maybe this happened. Maybe that happened. Like just running through the gambit of excuses right. to try to make sense of this. He would never hurt her. He loves her. He would never well, hurt her. And I mean, Gail showing up too, I think is by design to throw him off a little bit more because again, she's, I don't know, submissive to excess. Mm-hmm. This can't be the first time, right? So she, she can't be that surprised. Yeah. I don't know. I just, the psychology of Gail is terrifying to me. Like I just, ew. <laughs> I just don't yeah. Know yeah. I don't know. She needs some serious help. Yes. Lots of therapy. Yes. So this is where we meet Pete Walsh. Yeah. Actually, might have met him earlier technically in the show, but this is where he comes into the story. Yeah. He's an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And so he gets involved and he's talking to them and he's like, I had to convince them that this person stole their child. So like, no, 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 yep. it's fine. It's fine. He's like, this is your child. She's mm-hmm. gone. Without your permission. This is kidnapping. Yes, she's been kidnapped. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. That's just good Midwest hospitality right there. No. Yeah. Couldn't possibly. Mm-hmm. I liked that Pete talked about this was the worst case that he ever worked on. Like, And you're yes. like, how could that be? I, I feel like an FBI agent sees a lot of stuff. But I think the emotional involvement and stuff like that, this was just an extremely difficult case for the mm-hmm. people that were working on it. Yeah, I thought that was really kind of telling, like, oh, what a quagmire this thing really is. Right. Yeah, convincing parents that that she was kidnapped it just seems so foreign to us now. But again, I have to keep coming back to the fact that they didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Well, they originally didn't want to call because they didn't want to upset Gail and her family, right? They didn't want to get the police involved because they didn't want to upset Gail. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, anyway. Gail needs a little shaken up. I guess. Jam was 12. When this happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. And he's in his 40s. Sorry. Yeah. So they they find Birchtold's car. Mm -hmm. And they find that the window, the driver's side window is broken and there's blood. Mm -hmm. And there's one set of footprints walking away in tire tracks. So it looks like he did this. And even the FBI can tell this was him doing this Mm -hmm. to make it look like someone Mm -hmm. had taken both of them. Yep. Not... Too smart because they figured it out pretty quick that that was the case, right? Yeah, because the window's broken from the inside out and, you know, some shit like that, so. He's a master manipulator, but he's not exactly the best when it comes to details. How's that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, his skill is getting people to believe him, not setting up a scene to corroborate what he's trying to, you know, tell you. So I think Mm -hmm. he's just doing the surface level shit on that and just saving all his energy for the complete mindfuck that he's giving to everybody in his life right so while they're investigating like they don't know where they went after this right mm-hmm. they're kind of at a little bit of a dead end we meet Birchhold's brother joe mm-hmm. i don't like joe i don't like him at all yeah he didn't come across real well in this no no he doesn't because the first mm-hmm. thing he says is well i always knew that bob he calls his brother bob mm-hmm. we always knew that bob had a thing for young girls not my thing but whatever it's his thing you know he tried to try to get with our sister at one point in time when she was six and he was 12 yeah awesome that's awesome yeah 
And he seems very, like, it is what it is, whatever, about it. Nothing more than that. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple redeeming things that he does a little bit later. But, yeah, a lot of acceptance of some very strange behavior, even within their family. So One redeeming thing. He does one redeeming thing later. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, they find out that clearly Birchfield has a thing for young girls. Mm -hmm. Joe corroborates that. Mm -hmm. He tried to get, this is when we find out, he tried to get two other little girls in their family before they found the Broberts, and that Mm -hmm. didn't go forward because the parents didn't allow it to go forward. But again, they didn't tell anyone else. Right. So like, hey, watch out for this guy. He seems to be creeping around the kids. Nope. No one says anything like that. Right. You'd like to think we're better off now, but that's not really any guarantees. No. So while the FBI are looking into this, Jan is in and out of consciousness, right? She's clearly drugged. Mm -hmm. She wakes up and she sees this white box which is the recorder. At least it looks like the recorder from the, they do a dramatization. So I'm like, how new is that technology that she didn't know what that was? And she's strapped down the first time, like her, her wrists and ankles, I think are strapped down to like a couch or a bed. Right. And she hears this strange voice. It's, they sound like aliens. Mm -hmm. And she was informed that she was part alien. Mm -hmm. Like her mother was her mother. But Bob was not her real father. Mm-hmm. She, Her real father was an alien. And the aliens gave her a mission. She had to have a child by the age of 16 to save the alien planet. Right. Some dying alien planet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And they would reveal who the man would be. It's, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it is the most... Bizarre story. But again, they're part of LDS, and that's kind of a bizarre story, too. So, right. And they call that out in this. They're like, I'd been told a similar story my whole life. Mm -hmm. So she was isolated. She was drugged. Yep. She's young. Yeah. That's how brainwashing works. I mean, I've never had the experience, thank God. But I do understand that, you know, repetition and, you know, when you're susceptible and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, they're going to reveal to her who the male companion is so she can get pregnant by this cat and have a kid by 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. You have to wonder how he came up with that, right? That is the most bizarre story. How the fuck did he come up with that? Of of all the things you could say. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I guess he just didn't, I, I don't know. I, I mean, we can't really ask him, but. Thank God. Yeah. So she keeps hearing the voices. Mm-hmm. They're talking to her. They're called Zeta and Zethra. Is that it? Yes. I didn't write them down because I was just like, eh, aliens are enough. <laughs> Listen, those are cool names. I didn't want to give any more credence to this <laughs> bullshit. You know what I mean? You're just like, oh, right. I mean, I heard it. The first thing I thought is, oh, they should have been Scientologists. <laughs> that's exactly where yeah. this story came from, right? Maybe that's it. Maybe he was reading the Scientology book and and he was like, I got I to gotta use for that. I don't know. Again, you just... They play some tapes through this whole thing, and it is so skeevy. Mm-hmm. So so she eventually wakes up enough where she's coherent. Mm-hmm. She's no longer strapped down. Mm-hmm. She gets up. She walks out. And she sees Birchtold laying there, quotey fingers, unconscious and bloody on the couch. Right. And, you know, she goes and she knows immediately he's the man that mm-hmm. Zeta and Zethra were talking about. Right. And so she goes over, she wakes him up, 
and, you know, freaked out. And he's like, oh my God, what happened? Last thing I know, we were driving and there was this big bright light. And, ugh. Do you wonder, like, when was, like, Body Snatchers out or Invasion of the Third Kind? Like, when were those movies? I think Body Snatchers has to be older, but. Really? Because I thought it was, like, I thought it was late 70s. Okay. So, I wonder if there was, like, a book or something that, I don't know, it just seems like. This was a big time for aliens mm-hmm. in popular culture is what's kind of coming to mind. So maybe that's sort of the thread that got him started on this. I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, isn't this when I can't think of the name of the guy who, you know, came up with Scientology. Oh, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. And he wrote a book yeah, and, it, did. and yep, yep. it was about aliens and your alien planet and all that shit. And now it's religion. Yeah, and... maybe so. Maybe so. But anyway, I think there was some shit to draw from, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. I guess if you're going to go, go big, right? Make it so bizarre that no one will believe anything. If she were to tell anybody any of this, they're not going to believe it. Right. Right. So, you know, he comes to, and I don't know if he knows about the mission or she has to tell him. About, I think she tells him she about the mission. She has to tell right? him, yeah. Oh, and just how convenient that he's okay with it at 40 mm-hmm. and she's 12. And then just some of the shit like oh there happened to be sex books in the cabinets for them to look at together and mm-hmm. i'm like he already knows this he has children right <laughs> uh, so this is strictly for her benefit right. i mean like i just think that's really a weird mm-hmm. i don't know a weird thing to have to do and then i'm like all oh, right so so gross so then they're hanging out for a while till the uh till the aliens let her know that it's about time to uh get get on with things here in the uh getting pregnant aspect of this right and, and again how convenient that it uh, that it then becomes the burden on her to make that move so then he's completely innocent of it in theory right she's the one right. coming on to him saying we need to do this and so he's like well that's what she wanted he can right play that at least in his own conscious i'm sure is part of it Right. And they're in a trailer of some kind. Um, I don't know if we mentioned that part. So they're isolated. I don't know about any kind of neighbor situation. Yeah. So that's that's the jam. She talks about, you know, the first time that it happened and, you know, how she felt about it. And it's just it's just hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Yeah, she was 12. Yeah. I, I really commend her for being able to talk about something that makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So good for her. Yeah. To bring the story to light. Bertzold finally called his brother after 35 days. Mm-hmm. He tells Joe to call the parents and mm-hmm. tell them that he needs permission to marry Jan. So they're in Mexico and they got married because the legal age of marriage in Mexico at the time was 12. And they could get married in the United States as well, but they need parental permission. Right. And of course, Joe's like, all right. And so he calls the parents and they're like, fuck you that's not gonna happen right not happening mm-hmm. right and so you know joe's like listen he won't come back any other way because you have him up on kidnapping charges he'll go to jail and he doesn't want to go to jail so that's the only way he's going to come back and then after that he decides well I figured i might as well call the fbi and let them catch him you know what i mean he seemed he seems real blase about this whole thing yes. which you know they don't really discuss the relationship between them so I don't know. I Here's me always trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. So yeah, Joe does the right thing in this case a little late, but nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Is it weird to you? Did you consider if they got, how did they get married in Mexico? Was it just like he filed a paper or he bribed somebody or whatever? Because if 
she doesn't remember any of this. I think that part was weird. So maybe it was just a paperwork thing. She might remember getting married. She doesn't really discuss it. Okay. All right. I just was thinking, like, she talks a lot about, I was in the trailer. This is what I remember. Mm -hmm. She doesn't share that part of it. So I guess to me, it sort of sounded like she didn't really have a recollection of it. So that's why I was just curious. I mean, he, well, we'll get to that. I think he's not a a stranger to bribing people to do stuff. So, yeah. Right. The FBI, they do, like, figure out with Joe's help, where they are in Mexico. They get a hold of the Mexican police and the federales come and bust in the trailer, get them both, yep. take them both to jail, essentially. Yeah. And Birchtold is able to bribe a guard to allow Jan to come down and talk to him, mm-hmm. to which he says to her, tell your family that I took you on a vacation and that I made a mistake. Yeah. I shouldn't have taken you so far. I shouldn't have taken you so long without mm-hmm. their permission. Yeah, and she can't tell about three three or four different things. So Well, he says he's been he's been visited by Zeta and uh-huh. Zethra. Mm-hmm. And they told him that they can't talk about four things. Mm-hmm. They can't talk about the relaxing pills. Right. The mission. Mm-hmm. And because of that, any sexual interaction they've had, because that would give mm-hmm. away the mission. And then what was the other thing they couldn't talk about? Oh, Zeta and Zethra. So they can't talk yeah. about them either. That was the first one. And then... Right. The other three. But he also does some weird shit. He's like, you can't have any contact with any other men. I'm like, Mm -hmm. she's fucking 12. It's, you know, like, but that kind of tells you where he is. Um, Mm -hmm. And she also can't have any interaction with her dad, Mm -hmm. which is also not a great, it doesn't give you a great connotation, you know, of what a father-daughter relationship is in his mind. Right. And they don't talk about it in this documentary, but I wonder what his relationship with his daughters were. Yeah. Yeah. They never name them. Thankfully, they're allowed to be anonymous, which is good for them, but I hope they got therapy. Mm -hmm. They also said, if you do not follow these rules, if you say anything, Mm -hmm. then Karen will go blind. Mm -hmm. They would have to kill her father and they would have to take Susan because they had Mm -hmm. earlier had stated that if she, if Jan was not okay with the whole pregnancy thing, Then that Mm -hmm. was fine. They had a backup plan. They would take Susan instead, who was the youngest sister. Yeah. So threats to try to keep her quiet, really, in Mm -hmm. essence, but not coming from him, coming from their alien mission people. So Mm -hmm. how convenient. Right. And she really believed that this would be, this is really what kept her quiet for such a long time because she was scared to death Mm -hmm. that her family would be harmed, that she would end up being vaporized or some shit like this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she is reunited with her family, but almost immediately she starts to shun her dad, really more Mm -hmm. or less. Well, even when they pick her up from the... From Mexico, the first thing she asks is, what about Bert's hole? What's going to happen? He's going to get in trouble. I don't want him to get in trouble. And the parents are like, fuck him. Yeah. Let's not worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. They're too polite to say fuck. I'm not sure they've ever said that word. True. True. Yeah. So. The Brobergs were able to send the marriage certificate back to Mexico to get everything annulled. Right. The fact that that was a real legal marriage blows my mind. See, that's the thing I'm seeing. Like, there had to... I just... How did that part happen? They don't discuss it, but it did occur to me. I'm like, okay, something had to happen there for it to be legit. So I mean, there are very low ages in some states in the United States still, like I guess 14, 13. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have the lovely male senators who refuse to raise that age limit because, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> anyway, and so Birchwood is arrested in Mexico, brought back mm-hmm. to the U.S., and he's indicted for kidnapping. Right. Jan was examined by a physician who saw Mm -hmm. no signs of sexual abuse, her hymen was intact. Mm -hmm. So because of that, they assume assume 
as the doctor in the family that nothing sexual happened because she can't say anything, remember? So they assume, mm-hmm. okay, thank God that didn't happen. Yeah. So they're just looking for physical evidence mm-hmm. of this. Now, we know that that's not the case, and you can watch the documentary to find out some of those details that we didn't really want to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cringy. But Jan was constantly worried about the mission. You know, a whole planet is on her shoulders. That's a lot of stress for a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. You should be worried about taking a math test or a spelling test or something, not saving a planet with the birth of an alien child. Right. The FBI told the Roberts to stay away from all the birds told. Mm-hmm. All of them. And this is my favorite line of the whole documentary. Mm-hmm. Because then the FBI agent, oh, what's his name again? Pete Welsh. Is it Welsh? Anyway, good old Pete, he says, I told them to stay away from the entire Birchtold family, which they did not. Yeah. <laughs> he emphasized everyone like he almost rolled his eyes. Well, so what ends up happening next is Gail comes over on Christmas Eve and wants mm-hmm. to talk to about Fucking Gail. Well, again, you don't know what her story is, but she is part of the problem here. Mm-hmm. She threatens to expose Bob for his homosexual relationship with Birchtold. And so she was like, I want you to sign these affidavits that say things like, he didn't run off with her without our permission. Uh, she went willingly, blah, 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 mm-hmm. kind of absolving Birchtold of any wrongdoing. Other than the mm-hmm. fact that he had their 12-year-old daughter. Even later, he's like, you went with me willingly. And I'm like, she's still fucking 12, dude. Still doesn't sound great for you. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not good. But I definitely wrote down the phrase, what the fuck, Gail? Way to be part of the goddamn <laughs> problem. I mean, he was not around at this point, at, at least now. Mm-mm. But yeah, she comes over to um, grease the wheels here. So it's gross. Well, and I imagine in this day and age, she's just trying to save her family. You know, she probably didn't work. He was the mm-hmm. main income. Mm-hmm. They have five kids. What What would a single woman do in that case? I, I don't know. know. And she's probably been emotionally tortured for years yeah i mean like this is not her fault she's part of the problem but he is really the the monster in this story right my biggest problem is of course they signed this affidavit and that but they're covering their asses at the expense yes. of their child yes and mm-hmm. that really got me now listen they feel bad about it they know what's wrong later like i said they're talking mm-hmm. about it and they seem like really good people and i understand back then again it, it was illegal in some cases it might have been illegal there maybe he would have gone to jail for it i don't right. know but it still seems like a, I'm going to cover my ass and, you know, whatever happens to her, yeah. whatever. It's fine. Well, they thought, I mean, they thought she was safe, right? I mean, I don't know that they really thought mm-hmm. through what would happen next. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. just like, we have to deal with this short term problem. And then I'm mm-hmm. sort of like, so what would have happened if he did expose their relationship? He also would have been in trouble if it was illegal. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I find that very interesting. But um, I'm mean, like, I guess well yeah. played. Yeah. Well, he was, first was let out. He moved to Ogden, mm-hmm. Utah to sell cars yep. with his brother on his brother's lot. And Joe's like, man, he sold a ton of cars. <laughs> yeah, he's a good salesman. He yeah. really is. But he would come back home every weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Gail stayed behind with the kids. Mm-hmm. And he would sneak into Jan's room and would talk about the mission. Yeah. And he would give her these love letters and you know and she's like I felt like I should write back in in kind and and she actually states now that then she loved him as deeply as I had loved anyone is what she said but right she was 12 and at 12 you can really really love my little pony too so it doesn't quite have the same weight right and he's a master manipulator Mm -hmm. let's kind of emphasize that so 
he is doing everything he can to keep his hooks in her mm-hmm. and sending her all these flowery letters. And that's mm-hmm. the best I'm going to say. And then she really kind of retorts with these super juvenile things. And it's, I mean, right. you're super neat. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so unfortunate. It is. And as much as I joke about love at 12, it, although it isn't real, it feels so real when you're 12, right? Well, Everything a, yeah, is life or death. no comparison, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, you know, usually those first loves are memorable. Mm-hmm. But the problem is she wants to marry this rat bastard. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does. So, But after that, so let's say, what is it, spring 1975, mm-hmm. just prior to my glorious birth. And... <laughs> Birchsold is calling Marianne like every day. He's telling her he loves her. They need to run away together. And they need to be together. And he's living in his trailer somewhere. Is he still in Ogden? I'm not sure. They don't really say, but it's yeah, far there's enough a lot of away. Moving around here. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you don't really know exactly what's going on here. But yeah. And they share some phone calls between these two. And the way she sounds on these calls is just like. Hi, Bob. I mean, it's just really weird, <laughs> breathy. You know what I mean? Like, she's a very proper lady. I mean, she's very classy and pulled together. She reminds me of a couple people that I know, but mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated by this interaction between the two of them. It's, well, she goes to see him yeah. and they talk and they end up having sex and they end up having an eight month affair. Right. So, like, she's out of the house and stuff. Yeah. She's staying yeah. with him mm-hmm. and. You know, Birchtold calls Bob, of course, and tells him about it because Mm -hmm. he needs to hold all the cards. Right. And so Bob goes to talk to his uh, minister, someone in the church, to which they're like, listen, you've got to, you've got to move on. She's making some bad decisions. She's putting the kids in danger. So he decides to serve her with divorce papers, which Mm -hmm. in 1975, that's a big deal. Right. People just don't get divorced. No. I guess at this point. No. I also like the fact that, so she, this in essence scares her straight, right? Mm-hmm. She realizes what the fuck is going on. She goes to talk to a lawyer and he's like, yeah, we, you've got to cut out the cancer for this mm-hmm. because this guy is really fucking up your whole situation. Right. Is basically what's going on there. And let's just say that she, it's not like she would have got the kids. It's not like today where women always get the kids. Back then, I think women rarely got the kids because they didn't have a source of income. How are they going to support them? The men had the mm-hmm. rights to the children. Mm-hmm. So she would have lost everything. Well, although Birch told in her, in her ear telling her, well, your husband doesn't want you. And mm-hmm. I know that because he's a homosexual and, mm-hmm. you know, you would for sure get the kids because he's a homosexual. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, and this does not work on her, thankfully. I think I'm glad that she finally got to a point where she was like, mm-mm. But I wrote down to myself, but he Mexico married your 12-year-old daughter? Like, how good is this guy? I just keep coming back to, like, he must really be something else. Right. To, like, have run away with your kid, put you through hell, in essence, and then he sweet-talks you into having an affair, like, a big-time affair. This is not, like, on the sly you know, mm-hmm. this is like a this is like a deal breaker. After situation. she knows that, yes, the daughter bit, but also that he essentially slept with her husband, too. Yeah, he, she didn't know about that because of the Gail situation and the right. affidavits and whatever. So, so how special are you if everyone else in the family is also getting it from him? Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm thankful that she kind of had a wake up moment. But that one's a really hard one to swallow for me because mm-hmm. he's he's definitely put your kid in danger. 
mm-hmm. and really doesn't give a shit about you, or he wouldn't have stolen your daughter. Right. <laughs> right. This fucking guy. And let's also keep in mind that Birchwell is still visiting Jan while he's having an affair with his mo- her mother. Yeah. So yeah. still visiting her, still serving up the, the weird recordings and all of that. Yeah, trying to, yeah. So Marianne, yeah, she comes to her senses. She goes and talks to Bob and is like, listen, I don't want this. I cut him out. That's it. We're done. And they do get back together, mm-hmm. which makes me happy because they seem very sweet together. Yeah, I mean, they seem dedicated to one another. And also... I wonder if she ever comes around to the fact that he may be working on, this is Birch told I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, maybe working on the mom trying to get her to divorce the dad so he can get his goddamn grubby mitts on their kid. Mm -hmm. That's just something that occurred to me too. Yeah. I mean, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So Birch told is finally convicted. Well, he, he agrees to a plea deal. So this is 20 months after the kidnapping. He agrees to a plea deal where he was sentenced to like five years, but only had to do 45 days when he went in. He actually only served like 10 days. So Yeah, because of good behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. awesome. Neat. But he moves to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and bought a fun park, a family fun park. That's exactly right. where this predator needs to be, around a whole yep. bunch of kids. Absolutely. And Jan wants to go work there over the summer, to which her parents are like, fuck no. Yeah. Again, they wouldn't have said that. They would be like, no, dear, that's not going to happen. Right. And Birchfield calls Marianne and says, well, Jan really wants to come. And if you don't agree, she's just going to hitchhike her way up. Right. To which Marianne puts Jan on a plane and sends her yep. to Wyoming. Yep. <sighs> Jesus be a fence. Yes. Now, also they discuss that Jan has really made a giant pain in the ass out of herself, making everybody miserable mm-hmm. because she wants to go and be with this guy. So, right. you know, I don't know. Of anybody who's had some an angsty fucking tween in their life. Right. But they are very effective at just being miserable. So mm. I'm not saying she should have done it, but I can understand the pressure that a child can put on a parent. Yeah. But she did it without Bob knowing. And so once Bob found out, oh, he yeah. was pissed. Yes. Which is a bold fucking move. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Ooh. So Jan stays with Birchtold in his motorhome for two weeks. And then <laughs> Joe, the brother, Birchhold's brother, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. says he went to Jackson Hole. He went up and visited his brother up there. And he said, I've never seen him happier. They were both super happy. She said she would rather die than go home. Well, that makes it all okay, doesn't it, Joe? Yeah. Ugh, he just, everything about his face makes me yep. want to vomit. He does not come across well in this, so. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. He does, however, put Jana on a plane back to her folks. Birchhold does. Yeah. 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 And when Marianne picked her up in the airport, Jan was pissed. Yeah. She said that, you know, she here she is trying to save a dying planet, you know, so the stress of it was just really getting to her. Mm-hmm. So when she goes back home, Birchhold continues to harass her family, basically, about, you know, yeah. you should let her come out here, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. She's just being a goddamn menace. This is not her fault. Mm-hmm. Again, she's, you know, believes that she's doing things for a good cause Mm -hmm. but eventually she she does run away technically he takes her but it looks like she's run away according to a note that's found on her bed that says and it's written in it was obvious that she had not written this note it wasn't really in her way of speaking Mm -hmm. you know later they figure out that he's put her up to this whole note bullshit Mm -hmm. but they don't know where she is she's gone again right and when burst calls and 
he says that Jan called and said that she was running away and wouldn't tell anyone where she was going. So he doesn't know either. He's playing that role. They they wait two weeks before calling the FBI this time. Yep. Yep. They sure do. Yeah. And Burstall keeps saying how brokenhearted he is because he just wants her to be safe and wants to be with her and has no idea where she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Couldn't possibly know. Couldn't. Has no idea. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And again, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my God, you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and even, you know, Pete, the FBI agent, was very much like, we know he clearly had something to do with it. They tried to stake it. You know, they they found out where he was. They were staking out his motorhome. They they went in and looked inside of his motorhome, to which he Mm -hmm. had, like, poster-sized pictures of Jan all around. And Mm -hmm. that's creepy, dude. Now, mind you, she's been gone for three months about this time because he disappears after he gets out of jail Mm -hmm. and they have to go all over the place to try to find him wherever he's at. So, yeah, they find him. They find the weird, almost shriny kind of thing he's got going on in his motorhome. But she is not there. No, Mm -hmm. she's not. And she does call her family finally. And it's just really weird. Well, they sound they sound like tiny kids. Like, their voices are so high-pitched. Right. You know what I mean? And you're like, I don't don't know that my kid has ever sounded like that. You know what I'm saying? And that's it. You sit there and you think, yes, she's young. But the minute you hear her talk, like, they have recordings of her with Bertolt. They have recordings of her on the phone. And she sounds really, really young. That's really when it puts it in perspective how young she is. Yeah. Like, I would say, you know, you're expecting, like, almost adult voice out of a 12 year old right and this Mm -hmm. sounds like she is six right it's really interesting Mm -hmm. and then you just are so cringed you know it's just so cringy it's so bad it is really really bad yeah and they're like where are you are you coming home she's like i just want to call and say hi i love you and Mm -hmm. check you later can we also talk about while she's missing for that three months or whatever birch told still calling and talking to marianne like every day yeah and so she tells Good old FBI Pete. And he was like, all right, we'll put a trace on this. Keep taking the calls, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But Birch told calls and he's like, well, I talked to Jan. And, you know, I was trying to get find out where she was. And he's asking her what she's doing for money. And he's insinuating that she's a prostitute to her mother. Mm-hmm. To her mother. He absolutely knows where this kid is. And he's mm-hmm. just torturing them. And uh, Marianne's like, well, do you still want to marry Jan? And he's like, I've only ever wanted to marry Jan. They had an eight-month affair what Mm -hmm. is that i'm it's fascinating and he's still married with five kids yeah that's right (laughs) gail continues to be a non-presence in this thing technically he was married with five kids when they got married in mexico as well so he should be arrested for bigamy but what do i know well that's out of country bigamy i guess so doesn't count i guess but yeah you're you're so conflicted because i guess i think of marianne in one place you know she's She's been told that she's going to take these phone calls. Mm-hmm. And like a couple of times you hear her crack and she kind of is like, if you've done anything to her, my brothers are going to kill you. And so you're mm-hmm. like, finally, finally, it seems like she's got a little bit of backbone. Now she has shown some in a couple different instances, but just listening to these calls and she's just so polite to him and mm-hmm. oh, it's, so hard <laughs> to listen. it's so hard to listen to. You it just is. want to beat this guy's face in. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause throughout this documentary, they have recordings of him and some of the things he's just, oh, you know, when I saw Jan, I just knew and she hugged me and I just looked in her eyes and I knew I'd found the little girl that I was looking for. And ew, everything about him grosses me out. Right. He's trying to normalize this any way that he mm-hmm. possibly can. Mm-hmm. And it's just 
horrible. Yep. There's just nothing else I can say about that. Yeah. I do love the way that they ended up finding Jan. <laughs> like, right? So they yeah. followed Birchold out. You know, he leaves his motorhome. He goes out and he makes a call from a payphone. Boys and girls who've never seen a payphone. It's like a little box where Superman would get changed. And they have like a phone in there and you use coins and you and you have to have money to dial. <laughs> Maybe I'll put one of a picture of one on uh, the social media yeah. so you can... <laughs> You can reminisce with us on what a payphone was. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Do you remember making collect calls, but you didn't have money and you didn't really want to charge your parents? So you would, like, call your parents collect, and then for the name, it would be like, come pick me up from the mall, like, real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm outside JCPenney's. Bye. Right. So. Hilarious. That's all you needed. So then they wouldn't get charged anyway. Right. Sorry. So they follow him to this payphone. He leaves. They go in. He had left the phone book open to a specific page with a number written in it. And yes. so they call this number and it's a Catholic school, an all girl yeah, Catholic, Catholic school. school. Yeah. In California. Yeah. To which they're like, we don't have anyone by the name of Jan Broberg here. Right. And they explain the situation. It took a while, but they finally figure out she was there under the name Jan Tobler. Right. I love the fact too that, so he takes Jan to the school the the guise, if you will, is that he is her father and they're on the run. He's a CIA agent. They got busted in Lebanon, right, when all mm-hmm. that was going down. Mm-hmm. And her mother was killed and convinced the nuns that if people were looking for them, that that was the bad guys. So even he has to spin this tale to try to, I don't know, throw people off his tracks should they find out where she's at. Well, if you think about it, it's great because, yeah, he's explained why he has this yeah. child, right? It's yeah. just his child, sure. And in that day and age, mm-hmm. you just believe shit like that. Right. You explain why there's no mother. You explain why people might be looking for her. Right. And then you explain. Or maybe why there's no paperwork. I mm-hmm. mean. And you need to protect her. Yeah. You know, for me, mm-hmm. because, you know, I have all these issues. Right. And we find out Jan had said that, yeah, when she left, although it looked like she ran away, she got out of her window and he was waiting for her. And right. So she you know, climbs in the car and they peel out, right? Mm-hmm. Probably quietly peel out. They didn't really peel out but in my mind that's how it works yeah Yeah. and he immediately takes her to this catholic school spins this yarn still comes Mm -hmm. and sees her every weekend so they're still working on the mission right yeah and she talks a lot about it got to a point during a lot of these i guess between the first abduction like when she came home and then all of this that it it was really about sex most of the time between them so Mm -hmm. for him yes yeah so a lot of that so the agents, FBI agents, go get her. They said she was fingerprinted and put in jail prior to being transferred. I mean, I don't think she was ever arrested, but she was essentially put into the system. Yeah, which is kind of a statement on victims, right? Like, yeah. way to go, fellas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a, that's not a really great situation. So when she gets home, her mom's at the kitchen counter. She walks in, walks by her mom, and goes right straight down to her room. So you kind of get the feeling that she's really a mess this time. She's really upset about what's going on. They say she's just never the same, right? Yeah. She's hollow. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Uh, and then Birch Toll's arrested for parole violation initially. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of find out that he, shortly after, is arrested for charged with first-degree kidnapping. And then they also try to get him on arson and impersonating a CIA agent. But Right. Because after Jan's been home for 38 days, Bob's store catches on fire. Yes. And they know. They know it's Birch Toll. Maybe not personally. Yeah. 
So they find out later that Birchhold had told two people that he was in jail with that he would pay them $1,000 a month if they would burn down the business, to Mm -hmm. which they did successfully as well as, I think, half of the block. Right. They got quite a bit of it. Mm Mm-hmm. So those two people get put in jail for arson, but they cannot, they can't. They can't get it back, yeah, to Birch Mm -hmm. told properly. Yes. And he's acquitted of first degree kidnapping by reason of mental defect. Mm -hmm. So he essentially beats all the charges. He he gets around an arson charge. He impersonating of CA. They end up not charging Mm -hmm. him with that. And both kidnapping charges he gets around. He was ordered to a mental facility in June of 1977. But he was released less than six months later. Right. But he, he does figure out finally why he's got the obsession for Jan. And you're like, Jesus, okay. Piss me off. Yeah. And then, right. And so he needed to care for a little girl, according to his mental health providers, because that's when he was included in his family life and stuff like that. So it was still self-preservation. And that's why he needed to protect her and care for her. But I don't know if they talked about why he has the need to have sex with her. Like. <laughs> The central reason, you know what I mean? Like, right. To me, ew. it's a it's a line of bullshit to justify someone's oh, actions, yeah. right? Yeah, I do not agree with how you were treated as a child. Apparently, he was, you know, not considered part of the family because he had a stepfather mm-hmm. or mother or whomever. And mm-hmm. then when he came in and helped out when one of them were sick, he was allowed to be part of the family. And so that's, yeah, that's why he had to be with the little girls to take care mm-hmm. of them. No, sir, that's not going to fly. But by that logic, you should never be allowed to be around little girls because you're always going to have to be around little girls and do these horrible things. So that even understanding it just justifies Mm -hmm. not letting you out even more. Well, it's more palatable to say that this man has a non-sexual need. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's just, it makes it so much easier for everybody Mm -hmm. in this case. Yeah. Everything about it's grotesque. Mm -hmm. So Jan, you know, she's still aging. She's still doesn't have a complete admission. She's not pregnant. Mm -hmm. She said she's still in contact. So June of 1978, she's still in contact with Birchtold, but not as much. You know, she was getting older. He was losing interest. Mm -hmm. But she went to a five-week drama camp at Brigham Young University. And I think it's interesting because the parents, she really wanted to go. And the parents were like, oh, my God, do we let her go? And after everything that happened, I get that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And she's she's not great, right? I mean, it takes a really long time for her to come out of this, especially after, you know, the dad's business catches on fire and she's convinced that that's her fault. Right. Because this is what they fed her. He, mm-hmm. This is what Birchtold has said, like, we're going to do some bad shit to your family. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but if finally she starts to maybe see that it's not all that she thought it was. Right. She calls her mom while she's there and her mom had made a comment about how the dogs were sick that day. Mm-hmm. They weren't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And she, again, she's right on the verge of 16. Her birthday's like the next day or something. And she knew it was mm-hmm. her fault. She knew that the dogs were dead because she hadn't completed the mission. Mm-hmm. But then the next day the dogs were fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she realizes that, you know, she gets to her 16th birthday and the next day. So I will say, she said, when she was getting to her 16th birthday and she wasn't pregnant, she said she would get a gun, tell Susan about the mission. Right. And if Susan didn't want to do it, she would kill Susan and then kill herself. Right. Because this is a better outcome than Susan being taken, Susan forced to do this. Because she's been living with this pain and this pressure for years. Like five she years doesn't now. want that for her sister. Yes. You know, so I mean, like, think of the desperation you must have felt, you know, that she she would have felt to to come up with this plan as an alternate. Right? It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, really horrible. Yeah. So the day after her 16th birthday, and she's not pregnant, and she realizes 
Susan is still home. Mm-hmm. Jan herself is still there, not vaporized. Her dad is still alive. Right. Karen's not blind. Mm-hmm. And that's what it took for her to realize. It's interesting because her thought was, I wonder if, if they were even watching at all. Was any of this real? And then her next thought was, mm-hmm. no, of course, I'm sorry. I know you're real. It's fine. Fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm still in. Yeah. So, I mean, like, she starts to question. It starts to fall apart for her. Mm-hmm. And then she starts to come out of her shell a little bit and talk to some people about what has happened. Mm-hmm. And finally, she has to share it with her family. You know, the sister, I think it's Karen that talks about, she told her parents all of it, the sex stuff and everything. And they did not, it's not that they didn't react well. I just think they were in, they just don't talk about it now, right? It's just a sort of a, it happened and we we know it, but we don't talk about it. It's painful. Yeah, they said that, they didn't push for more information. They didn't want to because it was too painful to realize that they allowed that to happen to her and they blamed right. themselves for it. And to some degree, they are responsible, not entirely. Yeah. I mean, the responsibility lies solely with Birchhold on that. Right. But they didn't do their job of protecting their daughter and that's how they see it. Mm-hmm. But she was able to open up and because they were a close-knit family, they were able to get through it. Right. Marianne ended up writing a book about it. Mm-hmm. came out in 2003. And Marianne and Jan would travel around, not just with the book, but do talks. And you could see Jan talking to groups of people, hopefully kids in like high schools or wherever Mm -hmm. about this can happen to anybody, you know, just explaining her experience because there are so many people I think that have horrible experiences that feel so alone. And so to realize that someone else might've gone through it just allows you to feel a little bit more comfortable and free to, to talk about it. Well, I mean, they talk a lot about victimology here. I mean, not necessarily in this, but it's, you know, some of the stories you hear are like the way the abuser sets it up is that it was the kid's fault, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. why did you have to be so enticing and why did you have to, you know, so I think that that's probably fairly common and it's nice for people to come and say, no, this was not your fault. Mm -hmm. You know, same thing with lots of different rape victims, like you are blamed for your situation and it's like, no, no. So um, I'm glad that they were out Mm -hmm. kind of spreading, spreading that message. The name of this book is Stolen Innocence. Yes. And Birchhold tries to go to the talks. He's a bold motherfucker. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. He's like talking to news about how this was all a lie, that Jan went willingly. Again, like you said, she was 12. It doesn't matter if she went willingly or not. She could have skipped onto that RV. It's still not okay. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like he was like, well, it's, she, she was into it or um, great like it doesn't it's not any better no you know what I mean it's not (laughs) he he's the the ability to try to change the narrative on this dude is Mm. something else but he began threatening the Brobergs again putting up Mm -hmm. flyers around town with all these horrible lies about them going to where they were speaking publicly and you know kind of coming up with this whole thing about the aliens and the brainwashing and all that shit was fake Mm -hmm. and so you know, you kind of still come back to this whole thing, like, and so what? Oh, yeah. And and maybe that was something she had to tell herself to get through it and believe it. Even if I'm not saying that's the case, I'm saying if he was saying it was fake, it doesn't matter. Even if she had to do that to get through it, he still right. abused her. Yes. Yes. It does not matter. And to, you know, show up where they're at mm-hmm. and just not leave them the fuck alone. It's something else. It's brazen as fuck. So in 2004, Jan had to go to court because she was trying to get Mm -hmm. a stalking injunction. Mm -hmm. And Birchtold contests Mm -hmm. it. 
And she had to sit there next to him, essentially, in court and see him. Well, then he gets to address her. And I wish they had talked more about that because I don't know that that's super common. Right. But yeah, that's the part. And she gives it right back to him. And I'm just like, hell yeah, you did, Jan. I mean, she's just, she's owning her, you know, power and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But for him to like face her and like try to dress her down about this shit, I just was floored that 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 was allowed. I am extremely proud of her for being able to stand up to him because how many people, even that many years later, would be so intimidated or scared that you wouldn't be able to say or do anything? Yeah. Facing your abuser must be the hardest thing ever. So I really commend her for being able to do it. And Mm -hmm. if you're not able to do it, that's still okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But in this case, I think it's a great example of, I don't know, healing and and that kind of thing. Right. I just couldn't believe that he, he was able to talk to her directly like that. I couldn't believe it. Right. Well, she got the injunction and normally injunctions are for three years, but they made it for the remainder of his life, Mm -hmm. which I thought was, yes, thank you. Yeah. Then Joe, the brother, starts talking about how Burstold showed up at one of the talks. I'm assuming this is after the injunction. Yep. And they had, there are certain biker groups, there are a few different ones around the country that you hear about that go and kind of protect when people, especially kids, are going to court to testify against an abuser, they are there to help give them strength and protection mm-hmm. and make them feel confident, right? Mm-hmm. And so essentially they were doing the same thing. She was there for a talk or a book signing or something, and they were there mm-hmm. supporting her. And he shows up and they recognize him. What's interesting is that Joe really frames it as he was targeted, but had he not been where he wasn't supposed to be, this wouldn't have been a fucking issue. Yep. So I guess the, you know, Joe frames it like the biker gang saw him and said, let's get him. And then, you know, we're all over the car and he freaks out and he guns it, hits one of them. They call the cops. He had a gun. He wasn't supposed to have a gun because of prior Mm -hmm. felonies and whatnot. And so he gets arrested. Right. When in reality, what probably happened was he was there. He saw them walking towards them. He freaked out and probably gunned it and hit one of them. But yeah, but he was charged with three felonies and two misdemeanors. Can we just point out that that's more than he was charged for kidnapping? (laughs) I mean, having a gun is much more severe, apparently, than kidnapping and raping a small child. Yeah, good times. So he's found guilty and kind of makes some comments about, well, if I have to go into the jail time, that's just not really going to work for me. Right. Right. Because he was supposed to go back a couple weeks later for sentencing. The jury found him guilty on all charges. Yes. And he was supposed to go back for sentencing to which he couldn't possibly, his delicate baby heart couldn't possibly handle even one day in jail. Right. Mm -mm. So he ends up committing suicide. It's kind of the the end of the the scene for uh, Bob Birchtold. So his brother describes that he drank Kahlua and milk and then took all of his heart meds. And I was like, that seems unremarkable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Kahlua and milk? Okay. Yep. Since then, at least six other women have come forward stating they were also molested by him. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was convicted of rape of one of them sometime throughout his life, and he spent a whole year in jail for that. Right. For child rape. That's mm, neat. I love our justice system. For reals. So then kind of some of the other jan seems like she's doing okay now the family seems like they're okay and so i'm grateful i guess for that part of it but this is this is just a tough story not a lot of humor to be found here no there's not it it is hard i think you know jan was was pretty good at the end saying that 
you know, she was able to forgive her parents by helping them forgive mm-hmm. themselves. Because as a parent, I don't know that I could ever forgive myself for that. Right. And they admit it. They admit we made mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes. And but they thankfully made it through. They were able to, mm-hmm. you know, overcome it. I'm guessing lots and lots of therapy. I mean, I hope so. I mean, you know, hopefully they have they seem to have been from a good community. So maybe that was, mm-hmm. you know, they got the support and all those things that they needed. And I'm sure that, you know, writing the book and working together on the speaking engagements was probably good for them as well. So because mm-hmm. um, this stuff all worked because he was able to separate a close family. So they rebuilt those bonds and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and helping those by doing the talks, they can, you know, maybe feel like they're writing wrongs. You know, mm-hmm. they can't change sure. what they did in the past, but they can maybe help people from falling into the same traps. Yeah. These are the these are the signs. And people are much more aware now, almost hyper aware. Yeah. And you hear a lot of stories that they don't, like people don't ask the right questions. So it's a balance, right? You can't be mm-hmm. too gung-ho, but you can't be unaware either. You know, I don't know that we get it right all the time, but I am glad at least that there are talks about, listen, listen to your instincts, listen to your gut. If mm-hmm. you've kind of got the feeling that something's wrong, find out, talk to people, you know, this, mm-hmm. this kind of thing. So I don't know. I think one of the big things is make sure you have a good relationship with your child that they feel comfortable talking mm-hmm. to you about things like this, right? Because the, yep. the way that most people get away with this is because they tell the kid something bad will happen if they speak. Right. Right. Your, your mom will get mad or you'll get in trouble or something bad's going to happen to someone you love. And that's how they mm-hmm. keep it quiet. And if you can broach that early on saying, if someone tells you this, this is not true, you can talk to me about it. And I'm not saying it's going to solve all the problems, but I think having that communication is helpful. Right. But yeah, it's terrifying. What are the, what is the statistic she said? Four out of every 10 girls are molested. I think that's low. I think I've heard two out of every three at one point in time. Yeah. And as parents, I mean, you have opportunities to, how do you react when your kid comes to you and says something that is tough to hear, something that they, you know what I mean? Like there are ways to build trust with your children and Mm -hmm. get it across to your children that you do believe them. I think the main thing is, is if you tell them even something Mm -hmm. as simple as, listen, if you call me in the middle of the night because you can't drive because you're drunk and I need to come pick you up or you don't want to get in a car with Mm -hmm. someone that's drunk, don't then get mad at that child for doing that. Right. Right. And it's, it's the same thing. If they come to you and trust you with that information, Mm -hmm. it's going to be hard. I can't even, I, I can't either. It's, it's not easy, but knowing that, you need to react not in front of them, mm-hmm. right? If you can't listen, be understanding, find out what they need, and then go in your room and cry and then try to solve the problem. It's, you right. can't change the past. You can only change what happens moving forward, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. I know, me too. I hate that we're ending this in a bummer, but like I said, I think Jan is well, so I think that healing is possible. So I'm going to turn the turn the tide here. Uh, let's talk about it next week. Well, yeah, what are we doing next week? So we're going to cover the fire fraud next week. This is released in 2019. It's on Hulu and, again, running about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. which is a good time for us. <laughs> Timeline for we like the shorter ones. So. Right. Really, I mean, I think most of them have been about an hour and a half long. If you want to see privileged people get screwed over, this is the documentary for you. I'm just saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Makes you feel better yeah. about not having all the money to go mm-hmm. do these things. Yeah. Yep. And then I'll be posting what we're going to do going forward to the end of February. So, Mm -hmm. yep. We have some fun ones picked out. Not all doom and gloom, I promise. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's right. Uh, we'll take a step off our social warrior platform just for a moment. I know, but we might have to fit a good cult one in eventually. I love me a good cult. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll ask for you guys to rate, review, and subscribe for us so we can continue to bring more people into the fold here. Also, reach out to us on our social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram at Go Doc Yourself. All right, guys, keep your chin up, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, later. Bye.